Danielle Teas never thought about how hiking pants were made. In college, she was actually interested in marine mammals. She even spent time as a science diver in the Asian Pacific Islands of Guam and Palau, but now, at the age of 29 years old, works in the clothing retail industry, a major polluter and the second biggest consumer of water. What's been tough for me to realize is that at the end of the day, the outdoor industry and, and broadly apparel industry is reliant on fossil fuels. So how can we move away from that reliance on plastics? It's it's a tough one. Change is coming, oh yeah. Ain't no holding it back. Ain't no running. Change is coming, oh yeah. I'm Yash Pavlik-Slank, and this is Degrees, Real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. Today on the show, we'll talk to Danielle Teyes, who just made it into the media company Green Biz's 30 Under 30 list. She will tell us how she landed her current job at the outdoor gear giant REI, what she learned before that at Patagonia, and how her passion has evolved from dolphins, which, by the way, is my two-year-old daughter's absolute obsession right now, to solar panels, to, well, now pants and backpacks. Welcome to Degrees, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me, Yesh. Danielle, first in college, you wanted to become a marine biologist, and then you got a master's degree in environmental science and you were interested in energy. How did you end up in retail? It's so funny that you say that. Um, I hadn't quite thought about it that way, but it's it's very true. Um, I still love dolphins, by the way. <laughs> Good. But where um, for me, it actually really stems back to a a fact that I had heard, gosh, so many years ago, that half of the world's oxygen comes from our oceans. So for me, what actually underpins my passion, whether it's for the marine environment, because I got to grow up surfing and going in the ocean all the time, or, you know, my passion that I bring every day to my job, which is trying to fight the climate crisis through, you know, the outdoor industry and through product, um, is that humans are intrinsically connected to our environment. It stems from my passion of how I like to get outdoors to really where I saw my future in a mission-driven career fighting the climate crisis because it affects all people, all communities, our way of life, and all those animals that I still care a heck of a lot about that are in our oceans. But retail, I mean, that's largest water consumer, um, you know, huge environmental impact. How did you end up there? Yeah. So actually, when I graduated from undergrad, I ended up working for a really cool organization called Grid Alternatives. And they are um, the U.S.'s largest nonprofit solar installer. They also have a barn raising model of bringing solar PV to low income family homes while also teaching folks and volunteers to install the solar. So born out of that was this whole job training program, which that secondary part of their mission became how can we bring the skills and job training and opportunities and access to networks to underserved communities to get jobs in the green economy. All that to say that that was a just pivotal experience for me coming right out of undergrad. And that instilled in me that really the 
key area that I wanted to be working in was how to scale environmental solutions. So I carried that mentality with me through grad school, found my way to the EDF Climate Corps Fellowship, where I saw really the corporate sector as being an area to scale environmental solutions. Again, after graduating, I was thinking about different types of industries and honed in on apparel and consumer goods because every part of the value chain, there's really meaningful challenges, but also opportunities. So that's where I was fortunate to get a job at Patagonia, which living in Santa Barbara was just down the way in Ventura. Um, Funny that this big company was just in my backyard growing up, but was able to uh, get the most amazing training experience and uh, learning learning opportunities while being at Patagonia. Well, I want to hear more about what you do at REI, but I'm curious to know a little bit more about your backstory. You know, we've met before through the Climate Corps program. I remember meeting you in that training room in Boston in 2016, but I don't think in all the time that we've collaborated together, I've ever asked you, when did you realize that you were an environmentalist? That is such a good question. I I do feel like it must have been back in my freshman year of college. I actually thought that I was going to be a nurse. I wanted to follow in the footsteps of my parents who both were in healthcare, but really for them, I think they laid out the blueprint of what does it mean to have a mission-driven career and have, you know, get up every day and be helping other people. So growing up, that was our dinner table conversations, right? So I, I knew that I wanted to have some kind of mission-driven career that benefited people at the end of the day. But it really was, I think, my freshman gen bio. I was learning about the sodium-potassium pump, and as fascinating as that was on a cellular membrane (laughs) level, I ended up in another bio class, but happened to have been taught by an environmental scientist. And that just, the systems level of it all made me think, wow, we're all so interconnected. And by working in the environment and working in the climate space specifically could actually benefit not only people, but also the planet at the same time. And then again, just going back to like this intrinsic connection, I think that we have to the environment, every other breath we take is because of the environment. Like, how could I not pursue that path? Danielle, your current title is Senior Sustainability Analyst at REI. What do you do exactly? And are you basically looking at clothing materials and REI's carbon footprint? Or what else am I not thinking about? So if you take a step back and and think about where are impacts as an organization, that's one key insight that I bring. Quantifying or measuring, rather, measuring what does it mean to make an environmental impact at REI. So we see that over two thirds of our carbon footprint, so really what we're contributing to the climate crisis is coming from how we make product. So then it leads us to our two key areas where we can make a difference and where I show up in my role is how can we make product with less of an environmental footprint, meaning different materials, Um, And then also, how can we partner with different parts of the supply chain that we collaborate with to make our product to make it better? Do you have a specific story you can share about walking down the street somewhere and seeing a product that came to be because of your efforts? 
Well, I can't take credit for all this product because it really is um, up to the co-op brands design and apparel teams who were the brainchild behind this product. But they this season, we recently had some undyed packs. So an undyed flash pack, which is like a backpack, and then an undyed um, like hip belt or like a fanny pack. And it's so cool because it's, I mean, it looks like it's all white (laughs) effectively, right? It's not dyed, but it reduced, you know, our carbon footprint, the water footprint of that product significantly. And that was exciting for me, even just to come in and be able to say like, yes, this is like the impact that these products made. And then to see it on the shelves was, was really cool and, and really rewarding and something that I hope we can continue doing more of. That's so funny you said that. I was on the REI website right before our conversation and I was looking at that fanny pack and and wondering if I was ready for a fanny pack. And now I feel very committed and excited about this product because of what you just shared. It's surprisingly could fit a lot. (laughs) It could fit water bottle and a phone and all the essentials, some hand sanitizer. (laughs) Oh, I'm a mom. I'm going to make that thing carry a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I want to play devil's advocate for a moment. How do I know, how do we know that uh, the Patagonias and the REIs and the VF Corps, all these big outdoor retailers that have branded themselves to be leaders in the carbon reduction space and be at the forefront of innovation for making our retail consumption healthier and better for the planet. How do we know that that's actually happening? I mean, we can read press releases and read articles and feel good about things when we buy them, but how do we know it's real? You know, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I honestly ask myself that question all the time. And I can't help but feel like, for example, conversations with my family, when they come to me and say, I'm trying to buy a down comforter. What is the most sustainable down comforter I could buy? And then my wonky sustainability mind starts going into like, well, this is the difference between this standard and that standard and this claim and that claim. I had to take a step back and be like, we have failed as an industry to make this understandable and tangible. And I say that as the person who's like behind the scenes trying to do all of this due diligence of like, what does this claim mean? And it's invaluable work um, to make sure that, you know, we're doing the due diligence as an organization or as just a sustainability claim. But even just on a personal level, yeah, I had a hard time sometimes navigating through all of these claims. And this is what I do every day. So I can't help but feel it's like we we really need to do better as an industry. So let's get real. Job hunting sucks. It's just the worst. And it can be really frustrating. And even though there are some great opportunities out there, there's also a lot of great competition out there. And you have not only gotten jobs in the sustainability field, but you've made it, you've like really made it. Patagonia, REI, these are big names. These are aspirational companies to work for, for a lot of sustainability professionals. How did you do that? And how many rejections did you have, if you can feel like you can be honest about that along the way, uh, to to give our listeners some insight into what it actually takes to to get a job like yours? In all honesty, over the years, I lost count of how many jobs I haven't gotten that I've gone up for. It's almost to the point, you know, when you get a nicely worded, polite rejection email, you're like, that was nice. Thanks for letting me know, because you're just so used to getting ghosted by, uh, you know, organizations here and there. 
So what I mean, not to say that this was, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've been there. I get it. It is tough. It is really tough. Um, I took those rejection emails and where I could and where I felt appropriate and even just had the mental stamina to ask for feedback. I said, asked, you know, if you don't mind sharing, like why, you know, I'm looking to build out skills, blah, blah, blah. And I took a lot of that feedback to inform, okay, well, how can I get to next? I'm a bit of a uh, goal-oriented person. So I would set those goals for myself. Couple that with informational interviews, couple that with some good, you know, kind of LinkedIn creeping, being like, wow, that person's job sounds really cool. What kind of degrees do they have? The space is just wide open right now. I feel like you can really carve out whatever it is that you want. This is the path that I've been on. Super thankful to be a part of the outdoor industry, but I've also never set out to spend my entire career in the outdoor industry. So I also am thinking like, what could next be? Uh, Last thing I'll say too, is just being humble. I started as like, I had a graduate degree and I started as an intern at Patagonia. It was not easy. Um, So that was a, a decision that I made for myself and I was able to make. It ended up paying in the end, uh, got me to where I am today. But think about all those other times in your career where maybe something is, uh, you know, your foot in the door. What do you want to do with it? And that to me has always been something that I've tried to challenge myself is great. I am here. Well, now what am I going to make of this opportunity? You recently made it to the media company Green Biz 30 Under 30s list. That is a wildly competitive list these days Uh, is is. Being on that list for you as a person, as a professional, a blessing or a curse? Oh, gosh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Oh, no. It was only a few months ago. <laughs> um, I think, if anything, it was one of those moments where I, I'm so grateful for the acknowledgement and the recognition and also was just in awe reading the list, too, of, of my peers that were also on that list to think of wow, all these organizations around the world have people who are passionate, smart, dedicated to the work that they're doing. For me, it really was taking a step back to say how much, even within just the past four to six years that I'm still relatively early on in my career, to see how much growth and just proliferation of sustainability and impact jobs there are around the world was really inspiring. And a bit reassuring because sometimes, you know, it it can be hard day to day and you're just sucked into those Excel spreadsheets. You think like, well, what, what am I doing? But then when you come, the moments like that, where you're able to come up for air a bit more and see on a global scale that progress is still being made, it was reassuring. Danielle, I know there's always a conflict between making clothes and the fashion industry and that being really exciting. And then there might be a conflict with reducing your carbon footprint and how those two affect each other. So can you tell me about a a personal story about when you ran into conflict? What's been tough for me to to realize is that at the end of the day, the outdoor industry and, and broadly apparel industry is reliant on fossil fuels. Some of the most common fibers we have being polyester and nylon, which is probably I'm wearing at least several of those items right now. They stem from fossil fuels. So as much as our industry is working to reduce our carbon footprint, it's still not something I have fully been able to square, in all honesty, that 
at the end of the day, we're still reliant on these kinds of materials. There's tons of opportunity to advance recycled materials, right? Recycled polyester and recycled nylon, perhaps, and in other areas as well. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's still it's still fossil fuel. So how can we move away from that reliance on plastics? It's it's a tough one. And it's one thing too, these fibers, they are relatively efficient to make. They're pretty affordable to make. So then that brings me to that other lens of, well, just because I don't like plastics doesn't mean that I should take away the ability for someone to access reliable, functional, affordable clothes. That's a tough one. Danielle, you are half Filipina. You are a young woman of color in a sector that, let's be honest, is still mostly white and male dominated. Have you faced particular challenges because of that? And if so, how have you overcome them? You know, I I do think back to certain times when I was at Patagonia and everyone would be talking about skiing. And at the time, I didn't know how to ski. Or at the time, the only experience I had had rock climbing was the rock wall, the dinky rock wall at the county fair. (laughs) And, you know, these, these were all places that or activities that I was interested in, but just had no familiarity with. So even now, I I like to ask colleagues, how did you get into camping? How did you get into the outdoors? Because it's something that I found really only in adulthood. Somehow my family still teases me. They think that I'm just this like wild woman who's out doing all these crazy outdoor sports, but I'm really not. And that's something that I recognize can be quite intimidating about the outdoor industry and is a narrative that I personally want to continue seeing evolve and open because you don't have to be summiting mountains. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but this like idea that you have to be like conquering nature to be worthy of an outdoorsy title. I think that there's so many other ways that we can value just being outside and the benefits of being outside. Can you talk a little bit more about the relationship between race and outdoor experiences and having those outdoor experiences, even as a young child? Well, what's hard about today, too, is that as far as we've come, there still are, unfortunately, a lot of people who don't feel welcomed in outdoor spaces, who don't feel welcomed in our public lands. And also looking to the, I have to acknowledge the history of our public lands and that they, while we have access to them, as American citizens or anyone who's visiting, they weren't, they weren't ours. They were really our Native American lands. So recognizing that history and recognizing how we can show up today and acknowledge that history, but seek to do better and seek to, again, have it just be far more open and welcoming and accepting of all those different ways that you could show up in the outdoors and not having the pinnacle of sport be purely about athletic performance. That's something that I think has been much more of a traditionally white, traditionally male, traditionally more of a a conqueror mindset. And that's something that increasingly looking to groups that are bringing access and knowledge of sport and was it Black Girls Run, Outdoor Afro, Latino Outdoors, these organizations that are doing incredible work to build community amongst different BIPOC groups is 
I think hugely valuable to how we're going to be able to make the outdoors actually accessible for all people in the end going forward. Now, let's go back for a minute to where you're working now, REI. What do you think are the top three game-changing sustainability ideas in retail right now? And maybe there are even some that we haven't heard about yet. Uh, top level, I personally am really excited about the idea of circular economy. How can we, again, just think about doing business differently? Think about extending the life cycle of product so that it can be used longer. Another piece that is is critical and, and tied to that too is just looking at the inputs of our product and how could we make those with a lighter environmental footprint, scale the adoption of lower carbon materials. And then the last piece is really that scaling decarbonization is necessary across the entire value chain of really any business, but especially manufacturing industries such as apparel. So I would really say that those are like the top three key themes of how we can begin to strategize around uh, climate. And for folks who are just getting into circular economy, a, a point of clarity, a sustainable circular economy involves designing as as Danielle said, and promoting products that not only can be reused um, and repaired, but maybe remanufactured and they retain their value and their function for a really, really long time. And they're made by uh, renewable energy and materials that can continue to uh, renew other products as well. Is that a, a description you'd agree with? Yeah, definitely. And also too, where are there opportunities for business to use their voice to advocate for policy unlocks, right? We have a, almost no textile uh, recycling infrastructure in the U.S. The vast majority of our clothes and footwear just end up in our landfills. And that's another area of opportunity, I think, and a challenge for outdoor industry and retailers and brands who haven't traditionally played in that space but really I think have a role to play. Exciting. Well, now I have a couple of quick and dirty personal questions that we're asking all of our guests. So you have to choose one or the other. Are you ready? Sounds good. All right, mountain or beach? Beach. Pet or plant? Oh, pet. <laughs> Even I say that because I would like to have a pet. I just am not able to have one right now. <laughs> It's a big commitment. Plants are very resilient. Power or money? <laughs> oh, power. And finally, <laughs> favorite outdoor gear item? Oh, gosh, this is a tough one. I have to say my my trusty Nanopuff jacket. We Outdoor jacket from Patagonia. It was the first Patagonia thing I bought. And we've been through a lot together. I have a lot of sentimental <laughs> attachment to that jacket. And it's probably going to last forever. So you can keep it around for more adventures. All right. Danielle, how will you know that what you're doing at REI or Patagonia or the next place you go matters and is making an impact? How do you measure that? Oh, gosh, that is that is the question of the hour. Um on a personal level, it is really hard to measure that impact day to day when, when you're living it. And that's something that I honestly struggle with sometimes as a sustainability professional. 
is at the end of the day, you know, you look through your emails and your Excel spreadsheets and your meetings and is maybe there's one or two uh, conversations that were really invigorating, but it's hard when you're so in it. I think one way for myself is when I hear sustainability being talked in about in the news, that it's just becoming more common for people to understand what I do. You know, when I explained my job to my family five years ago, just blank stares. But I think just because the world is changing so quickly and adoption is happening so quickly across the board and more successful examples are featured in the news, it's really rewarding to see that work that I have been contributing to and my colleagues at EDF or Climate Corps are contributing to are just becoming part of reality and part of the public's understanding of what our world needs to look like. Yeah, that's such a good point. And this is such a specific example, but sometimes I just peruse LinkedIn and just see what what may be happening in the industry. And now just to see some of the organizations that you never thought would have sustainability teams, I'm sure you see this all the time through Climate Corps as well, is, wow, they have not even just, you know, a person in one specific function, but an entire team or they're embedding this in their strategy. And to your point, it's come a long way in even just a short amount of time. And that's something that I think is a testament to our collective impact. Well, final question. What is one thing that someone listening to this interview right now, someone who cares about the same things you do, someone who was you five, 10 years ago, can do to make a difference? Something that I've been thinking more and more about lately and and really valuing, especially coming off of the challenging, isolating year we've all had, is just the value of connection, the value of conversations, and especially mentorship as well where I have really just gotten so much support and been able to get past those like barriers maybe that you build up for yourself or not being able to to go after a certain opportunity was because of the mentorship and support that I have gotten over the years, especially from other women, especially from other BIPOC women, has just been incredibly valuable. And that's something that I want to challenge myself to continue doing as well is how can I pay it forward to others, whether I am you know, a part of their hiring, a part of their training, just answering a request for an informational interview. How can we continue to build up this community of sustainability professionals and broaden the lens, broaden the aperture of what does it mean to further sustainability and impact. And a lot of that really just starts with connecting with people and having conversations and supporting one another. I always learn something from informational interview conversations. It's so fascinating to hear where people are coming from and why they're excited to join this fight. Danielle Tejas is the Senior Sustainability Analyst for REI. Danielle, thank you for being with us on Degrees. Thank you so much for having me, Yash. In the next episode of Degrees. Respiratory problems amongst children. The statistic is that anywhere between six and seven out of 10 kids suffer from asthma. Eduardo Garcia is an assemblyman from California who is dealing with the impact of wildfires in his community. We'll talk to him about his plans to control wildfires, the drought, and how the son of farm workers from Mexico became a politician. And that's it for this episode of Degrees. You can find links to the resources in this episode and the entire series in your listening app. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. 
Amy Morse is our producer. Our executive producers are Rick Valu and Christina Mestre. Podcast Allies is our production company, and I am your host, Yesh Pavlik-Slink. But the foundation of the show is you. Share this episode with a friend and find your planet-saving career together. Thanks for listening. Change is coming, oh yeah. Ain't no holding it back. Ain't